together. I'm going to start with this passage here in John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Let's stand and sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. for 
this morning. Come on. Yes. Shake 
good to see each of you. Hello, live stream friends. Thanks for joining us online. Ah, it's so great to be here together, praising Jesus' name together. What a great place. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Julianne. I get to work here doing outreach and missions. Say it every time. Best job ever. Truly, it is a joy to just be part of the church as we get to reach our neighbors and the nations. And doing it with you guys is so fun. Um, a couple pieces of information in, on your way in. We hope you had an opportunity to grab our sermon notes and any information. All of this information is also available on our app on westgatechapel.org. Um, there's just ways for us to communicate and we can walk through Rob's sermon with him. And then also in front of you in your pews, that's where we keep our connect card. And that's a way that we keep track of um, hearing from you. We'd love to hear if you have prayer requests, if you are looking for more information about the church. Um, any of those things, you can fill this out, drop it in the offering, or if you're a guest, we'd love for you to take this to our guest center out in the main lobby. We have a team ready to greet you, have a small gift, answer any questions, et cetera, et cetera. So that's our Connect card. Again, you can do this online for those watching online. Um, a couple pieces of information just about exciting things going on. As we know, November is here. We're crawling through it. We are... Um, Excited about a couple things coming up in the next couple weeks. We have our International Friends Thanksgiving one week from today. We're so excited. Yes, we have over 150 students registered, guests, international students from 15 different countries that will be um, here in our church next Sunday. Uh, we have uh, still need for drivers, but on the whole, our, our team is growing, and we are excited to see what God is going to do through us as we reach the nations that have come in to be our neighbors, and we love your prayers this week. Another thing um, is the following Sunday, so we'll have, that's the 20th, Thanksgiving, and then the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're doing a Together Sunday, and that is a time for us as a church to worship together. We will have both services, 9 and 1045, with a hangout in the atrium in the middle, but that service is geared to um, all ages. It's going to be creative. It's a real opportunity to conclude our thankfulness series together, creative worship, interactive I know that the guests we have at, that will be staying at our house for Thanksgiving will be coming with us. So we just invite you to be part of that um, and know that that's head, heading up. And there will be things for kids, the family space in the refinery, but we'll be in service worshiping together. So that's what we're excited for finishing this month. And then I have Steve. He's going to come up and talk to us about Christmas at Westgate. So welcome, Steve. Oh, applause. Imagine we give applause to Rob every time you come up to preach. Wouldn't that just? <laughs> All right. I need a quick little survey here. I'll see if you guys are like first service. But with the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, tell them what's the better meal? Thanksgiving or Christmas? And tell them why. What's the better meal? Thanksgiving or Christmas? All right. You got 30 seconds. Turn to the person and tell them why. Let's take, we're going to take a little survey here. All right. Thanksgiving meal is better. Raise your hand. 
Wow. Christmas, the right answer. Well, so few of us. Here's, here's, here's what the best answer I've heard so far. They're similar meals, yet Christmas has a better ambiance. And so it makes the meal better. That's pretty good. You don't have Christmas cookies at Thanksgiving either. Just, just to be thinking about it. You have both. <laughs> All right. Eat them at both, yeah. So I'm talking about Christmas. You might be sitting there going, Christmas, we haven't even had the best meal yet. Why are we talking about Christmas? And so if you hang with me one minute, let me tell you a story on why we're talking about Christmas now. When uh, four years ago, my family and I moved back from Jersey to um, Toledo. I've talked sometimes about that with some of you. I grew up here, but then we were 15 years on the East Coast and moved back because we had the value to be by our family. Uh, most of my family lived in the area, and we wanted to be by them. We wanted to have a relationship with them. It was hard only seeing them once in a while at a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal. And so we moved back. And a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting, talking with my grandmother. She's 94, still lives in her home by herself. And I was going over to visit and we got done, you know, talking and having a little lunch and I leave and she gives me a hug and says, it was so good to see you. It's been too long. And I kind of walked out. I was thinking like, grandma kind of always says things. Good thing she doesn't have the internet and watching. But, you know, like, I'm not quite sure if she's always right on the things she's saying. It's like, been too long. Like, I live 10 minutes down the road. Like, I see you all the time. But then I started actually trying to think when the last time I went over there was. It was like two months had went by before I went to visit. Even though I had said the value of moving my family cross-country back to Toledo was for family, the days and the weeks and the months just keep going, and sometimes the thing that I say I value the most is the things I don't prioritize. Can I make the turn to Christmas? Uh, Christmas season is this amazing time where we get to celebrate the Savior of the world, God who comes to be with us, Emmanuel. And we get to celebrate. We give gifts in honor of this. We spend time with our family, our friends, our church. And can I just encourage you that there's so much that we're going to do as a church. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to value it and then prioritize it. And so in your bulletin, you'll see that there was the Christmas season. You can see dates and times. And the reason we're giving, the, so you can put those on your calendar so it just doesn't pass by. Christmas season can pass by very quickly. And so doing things that are intentional that we say we value. Things like making sure Christmas Eve service. Christmas on Wilford, let me just spend one minute on that. On December 10th, Christmas on Wilford is happening. It is our big church family party. It was amazing. We started two years ago during COVID as just a kind of drop off. It was outside. Last year, we brought it all in. We had live music in the atrium. There was cookie decorating going on in the refinery on the big screen. We had a kid's movie and popcorn and candy. We had a area in the chapel where you could reflect on Christmas. And then it was a time to give and to celebrate that generosity. And so we gave food that goes to local partners. We gave coats and hats and gloves and then toys as well. And so all of that then was given on that day in kind of celebration. Can I encourage you, look at that. You can scan the QR code on there to get more information or go online or go to the app. 
put that on your calendar. Invite a friend to come. It is an awesome opportunity. Often people are willing to give. And so why not foster that? Why not mature that in people and say, hey, come give during Christmas and come be a part of what my church is doing. It's an amazing night. Had such a great time. Would love for you to come. Invite your neighbor to that. And then also you can serve. There's lots of information out by the W Cafe and then online. All right, with that, would, uh, can I encourage you to stand up and actually greet someone next to you, introduce yourself, welcome them to church, and then we'll get back into worship in a couple minutes. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. Shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. Our God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. 
moment now just go to Jesus give it all to him do we believe there is power in his name yes, sir. there is tremendous power in his name give it all to him I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus yes. till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the
Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak your holy name. of Jesus. God, there's power in your name. May we believe that. May we believe when we sing the words, I just want to speak the name of Jesus. God, forgive us when we make it more complicated than fixing our eyes upon you. God, you are all that we need in this life. I know there are people hurting here today. I know each one of us knows someone hurting may not be here today. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's a physical illness. How do we believe in the power that is your name above every other name. You're capable of healing where no doctor is. May we pray, may we believe for miracles, God, and may we thank you when we see you at work. May we show our gratitude to you by loving you, by loving your people, by loving those who are far from you. is what you've called us to do. Jesus, we love you. We declare there is power in the name of Jesus. And all God's people prayed. Amen. We're going to take this morning's offering and use this as continued act of worship. If you are a guest, please let it, don't, don't feel bad about letting it just pass right on by. everyone it's good to be here hey God is good amen oh I know that's about him and not me Steve I'm gonna kill you <laughs> give give Jesus praise this morning would you give God praise this morning amen God is good God is good. We have so much to be thankful for. And uh, this morning as we dive in, I figure, you know, all this talk of Christmas already, blah. People are putting up their lights, turning them on already in my neighborhood. What is wrong with you people? It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Come on. I want to get us into the Thanksgiving spirit this morning, all right? All you Thanksgiving meal people, we're the same heart. Here we go. Number one, I want us to start this morning with a little competition between you and the people sitting around you, people you came with, friends, or just look at somebody you don't know and say, I'm going to beat you this morning. All right, 
here we go. We're going to have a competition. And one of the things I was looking at this past week is when it comes to the Thanksgiving meal, you can actually, they've done studies to determine by state what the favorite side dish is at the Thanksgiving meal. Now, I took a look at this, and we're going to have a little competition. Stay off your phones, cheaters, okay? But... What we're going to do is have a competition friendly between you and your friends to see who can guess out of these states that I will put up here what their favorite side dish is. Not multiple choice. You just got to guess. Think about the people. It'll help you out. All right. Give yourself a point. If you win, loser makes Thanksgiving. Okay, here we go. First state, Pastor Steve, this is for you, New Jersey, New Jersey, the great state of New Jersey, and, and Sarah, yes, sorry, I forgot, almost forgot. <laughs> what is the favorite side dish for Thanksgiving, not turkey, remember, side dish for Thanksgiving in New Jersey? You got five seconds, talk, pick your answer. <clears throat> All right, talk, 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 talk. All right, here we go, ready? Give yourself a point if you answered this. Stuffing, stuffing. Give yourself a point. I love it. All right. I see some hands raised, some fists pumping. I love it. Next one. All right, guys. Think about the people here. Idaho. What is their favorite side dish in Idaho? All right. Look at the person next to you. Talk about it. All right. Final answer. Ready? If you said this, you're correct. Green beans. No joke, right? How many people said potatoes? Yeah. This is where you had, right? Guys, you gotta, gotta think this through. They eat potatoes all the time, right? Gotta have something a little different. At least, at least that's what I think. All right, here's the next one. Oklahoma. Where's, is Pastor Adam out here yet? Not yet. He's probably still backstage. Oklahoma. What would be their favorite side dish? All right. Talk, talk. Final answer. And the answer is rolls. Rolls. Like, seriously, Oklahoma, could you pick the most bland food at the table? All right. Next. South Carolina. South Carolina. Think about this. Favorite side dish. Now, <clears throat> choose. Choose. I hope you're keeping score. Somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to have a lot of cooking to do. Favorite side is macaroni and cheese. How many people got that just by raising hands? Excellent. A handful of you. Good, good. You'll be in the lead. All right, here's the next one. I got three more for you. Kansas. Kansas. Seriously. What is there in Kansas? People in corn? Well, if you said corn, that's the answer. Creamed corn. Creamed corn. Disgusting. Okay. Next one. Indiana. Just a stone's throw from here. How many people are from Indiana here? Don't get this wrong. What did the internet say is Indiana's favorite side dish? Choose your answer. Keep your point. Ready? It is deviled eggs. Anybody from Indiana get that right? I didn't think so. Okay. Last one. New Hampshire. All the way up there in the top right of the states, almost top right. Last one. We're going to make this one worth five points, all right? Five points. Ready? Shh. The answer is cranberries. 
Yes, and notice I chose the best cranberry picture. Look at that. As you know, that is my favorite, favorite side dish. My wife is laughing at me. Okay, so like last year, I went to the store and I searched long and hard and came up with no cranberries. My Thanksgiving was almost ruined. It was horrible. So I went to the store just last night looking for Thanksgiving stuff, and I noticed there were no turkeys in the bin. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble, right? And then I went to the cranberry aisle, and there were no cranberries. And I went home, and the only thing I complained about was the cranberries. So my wife said, there's a problem with you. Uh, So anyway, Whoever lost, you're cooking Thanksgiving dinner. When we approach Thanksgiving, I want you to think about this. There are a lot of things that we think about. We're going into a series entitled Be Thankful. And when we think about Thanksgiving, many times we're thinking about things like we get a five-day weekend off of school and our work. We think about the huge feast that we're going to get to enjoy, the family gatherings or the friend gatherings that we have the family traditions, but most importantly, and I hope we take time to think about the things that we're actually thankful for. My family, we have a tradition of sitting around the table before we eat the meal together and talking about the things that we're thankful for in the past year and just really thinking about what God has done for us and sharing that with one another, a very special tradition. But as much as we have this holiday that is focused on giving thanks, one of the things that I've recognized, and if you follow along with me this morning in your notes, is that statistics show us that there is a significant gratitude gap that actually exists in America today. A significant gratitude gap. And here's how the statistics explain this. The first fill in there is this. 90% of people that were polled say that they are grateful for their family. That's good news, 90%, right? That's a really good high number. The people are grateful for their family. The next one says that 87% of people are grateful for their closest friends. I don't know how we had a 3% drop off there, but you know what? This sounds really good. High percentage, high people that say that they're grateful for family, grateful for friends. But this is where, I, where the gap is seen. 52% of women, the study says, express gratitude regularly. And the next one, only 44% of men express gratitude regularly. In other words, we may say or feel that we are thankful for something, but there is a gap that exists between what we say or what we feel and what we actually express openly. And I want us to think about this morning, what is it that often causes this type of gratitude gap? What is it that causes us to not be those who express thanks or gratitude to others? One of those things is this, that we often will take people for granted. Now, I don't know about you, I had a job when I was uh, in high school, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in early college, where I was in between jobs and got a job because of a friend working at a mobile gas station out in California. And the interesting thing is, is I was hired to do what they called friendly service at the time. In other words, I was a glorified walk around the gas station, uh, ask people if I could wash their windows, greet them, pump their gas for them, check the oil so that I could try to sell some oil that they didn't need, you know, that kind of thing, right? And that was the job that I had. I really actually loved the job, but one of the things that I didn't like was the owner of the place that that basically ran the gas station. He wasn't the kindest person. 
To be honest with you, he treated his employees very, very bad. So bad that we had tons of people that were constantly quitting to the point that we became short on employees. And so he was pleading for people to work. And I remember thinking at that time, like, A, I need money. B, I've got extra time. So I picked up a ton of extra shifts in order to try to help him out. And as I did that, he came to me just a few weeks after having started picking up those shifts and said to me, hey, here's the deal. I need somebody that can move to the night shift. I need you to move the night shift. And I'm like, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. behind what they call bullet resistant glass, not bulletproof. That just means the bullet slows down before it kills you um, and makes it hurt a little bit more, right? Sitting in the middle of a bad area behind this bullet resistant glass all hours of the night does not sound exciting, but I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give it a try and I'll help this guy out. And so I worked the night shift for months. But mind you, before I got hired, one of the things that I asked him was, I said, hey, here's the deal. I have one week during the summer that I need off completely. I said, I, I work as an intern uh, part-time at, uh, at my church and we have a vacation Bible school that I'm really in charge of running uh, for a bunch of about 100 junior high students. I need this one week off. And I came to him after doing all of this extra stuff and because I, uh, I saw that I was on the schedule for that week and I said, hey, here's the deal. Remember, you said that I could have that time off. And he looks at me and he says, if you don't show up for work, you're fired. And I was like, who do you think you are? Like, I have picked up all of these shifts to save you. I'm like, not only that, I moved to the night shift, which made my life miserable. And this is how you'll treat me. So I did what any good person would do. I burned my uniform and never went back. I was mad because I'll tell you what, the worst feeling was to be taken for granted and truly to be taken advantage of. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like you were taken for granted? It's one of the worst feelings. And to be honest, it can be fairly dehumanizing. But not only is there a gratitude gap because of, of taking people for granted, but I think it also exists because of, uh, of us having a sense of entitlement. And I think we see this a lot in our own culture today. Entitlement is this, is that we believe that we deserve certain privileges or special treatment. And when we believe this, it causes us to feel as though nothing special has actually been done for us, just what is expected. I want you to think about this. Teenagers, I want to relate this to you. But as I relate it to you, know that I relate to myself because I walked through this time in life. We think of our parents, of course they buy me nice clothes. Of course, they shuttle me around to all of my activities. Of course, they make me dinner. Of course, they sacrifice their time for me. It's what they're supposed to do. They're my parents, married people. I want you to think about it this way. Of course, she watched the kids all day long. Of course, he did all of the yard work. Of course, she did the laundry. Of course, he made dinner. Of course, she went shopping. Of course, he ran the kids to all of their sports practices. It's what you're supposed to do. And oftentimes what happens is that when we have a sense of entitlement, it can cause us to look at people who do things for us, whether it's special or whether it's even the normal routine things of every day, and we begin to believe within ourselves that that is some kind of special treatment and it causes us to not see it that way. And often what it does is that ingratitude of that type then begins to communicate certain things to people. The first thing that it begins to communicate is this. I don't see you. I don't see you. That's a horrible feeling for a person to have, to feel unseen. 
Ingratitude communicates, I don't recognize what you've done. The way in which you have done things. It communicates, I don't recognize your effort or your sacrifice. It also communicates, I don't care. And I venture to guess that many of us have been on the receiving end or even the giving end of that statement at some point in our life. A time where we looked at someone who we felt had no gratitude and we thought, do you even care about me? Or a time where we have not been grateful and someone gave that same phrase to us. I've experienced it in my own life many times, in my marriage over the years, where I have taken, uh, in, in a sense, a sense of entitlement and not honoring the things even that my wife would do for me. And it creates that response. And oftentimes what we don't realize is that our ingratitude leaves a mark and even undermines our own respectability. And what we see is this, is that ingratitude is destructive to our relationships. It's destructive to our relationships with others, but even more, ingratitude is one of the things that is incredibly destructive to our relationship with God. And I want us to dive into this topic this morning. The secret to developing a heart of thankfulness. I want us to discover how it is that we develop this heart. And I want to do this by taking a look at a very specific passage of scripture this morning. In our passage this morning, your next fill-in, we're going to see that there is an outcast that is going to teach us the secret to developing a heart of thankfulness. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 11 and go through verse 19 together this morning. We're going to take a look at a passage about an outcast that teaches us the secret to developing a heart of thankfulness. And as we begin reading this morning, letter A, you're going to see that what happens is Jesus encounters a group of people that have been completely alienated from their family, from their friends, and from their religious community, completely separated, completely alienated, feeling uh, a sense of uh, just complete isolation and a loss of everything. Take a look at this with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 17, and we'll begin together in verse 11. It says this, on the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. So what we see as we begin to read in this passage is that Jesus is passing through a remote area between Samaria and Galilee that was in the north. As we read in the other gospels, we, we learn, we understand that as Jesus was traveling through what, this area, which would be a desolate region, he was traveling through small villages, healing the sick casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, doing what Jesus did. And in this specific situation, the passage tells us that Jesus encounters 10 men who were in a desperate situation, 
alienated from their family, their friends, and their community because of their sickness. Now, we might say to ourselves, we know something somewhat about this. How many people during COVID, uh, especially in that first year, found themselves isolated in a room by themselves or in a basement or somewhere else without contact with family for a week or so? Anybody here have that experience? A number of you, right? I remember getting put in my basement, you know, maybe you had the food delivered uh, to the door. I had a very close friend that's a pastor in the Pacific Northwest. He was actually, a year after COVID, was traveling with his family uh, over in France. And uh, he ended up getting COVID right before they were supposed to leave. They put him in a hotel room, very small, tiny room with no windows. And his family continued on and flew home. And he ended up staying there for about a week and a half by himself without any contact with people. They would come, they would knock on the door, leave the food there for him, open it, bring it in. And that was it. There was really no contact. And I remember him taking time on Facebook talking about just like how isolated and how lonely he felt and like how difficult it was. And when I, when I think about what we walked through and even what he walked through, I can't even come close to imagine what these 10 men experienced who encountered Jesus. You see, because their sickness was leprosy. Leprosy was a severe skin disease that was caused by a bacteria that could be uh, spread by touch or also by the breath. It attacked the skin, it attacked the peripheral nerves, often, especially near the joints, like the wrists, the elbows, and the knees, and it attacked the mucous membranes. It would also form lesions on the skin and it could disfigure the face by causing the nose to be sunken in and causing folds of skin on the face. Due to the loss of feeling, oftentimes in hands or feet, people with the disease would find themselves wearing away their extremities and their faces unknowingly. And it was this horrible disfigurement that caused a great fear amongst the people of that day to make lepers outcasts, completely cut off from all of healthy society for protection. They were forced to live in desolate places, out of cities, away from their family, away from their friends, away from their religious community, by themselves. And they had to announce their presence. If anybody would come near them that was not sick or they were to come near to a place where other people were, they would have to announce their presence and yell out that they were, that they were sick or unclean so that no one would come near the other thing to confound, even on top of that incredible isolation, is that at this time within Israel, it was also considered to be a result of divine judgment for their sin. That there must have been something wrong that they had done, and God was punishing them for, what they, uh, for something they had done with this incredible sickness. And so it paints a picture for us to understand that as Jesus is traveling through this desolate area, encounters these 10 men, they are in an incredibly desperate situation and in desperate need. And as we look in Luke 17, verse 13, as they encounter Jesus, it tells us this. It says that they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Letter B in your notes, the 10 lepers reference to Jesus as master suggests an attitude of expectation or trust on their part. They call out first Jesus. It's clear that they had some idea of who he was. Either they had had an experience with him in the past or they had heard all about him. And they were not only curious, but they knew there was this expectation that there was something that he could do for them. 
Either way, they were familiar with him on some level. But it says also, which is very intriguing, that they cry out master. Now, this was interesting because this title for Jesus is one that was typically reserved only for disciples or for his very close followers. The only time right here in this passage, this is the only time that we see somebody other than his disciples in all of the gospels use the term master to refer to Jesus. And what it was, was an acknowledgement of his notable power, of his authority, but also their expectation and trust that he could help them. Clearly, they had heard that Jesus had been moving around through the villages, healing the sick, bringing sight to the blind, casting out demons, and hoping that this might be their moment for the same. And so they cry out, have mercy on us. Their disease was incurable. Their lives were miserable. And their situation was completely hopeless. But Jesus offered their only chance for deliverance. And so they pleaded and they begged for the healer to heal them. And what does it say that Jesus' response is in this moment? Luke 17, verse 14. It says that when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, this is interesting. Let her see. Jesus' response to go would have been shocking. Notice what doesn't happen. Jesus, upon seeing these men that are in desperate need of help, doesn't go and pick up some dirt off the ground, spit into it, rub it together, make a little mud, and like apply it like he had in the past, right? Notice that Jesus doesn't even walk up to them and reach up to touch them. He doesn't even speak words of healing over them. Notice that he doesn't even acknowledge their request. But what does he do? He says, go, go. A phrase that they had probably heard over and over and over again. Get out of here. Go, stay away, right? You're a leper. I don't want to get near you. You're an outcast. You're nothing in society. Go. Except when Jesus says go, the words that he says with it are go and show yourself to the priest. Now, this was an interesting statement itself that Jesus makes. According to the law, when somebody was sick, after having been quarantined, they had to visit a local priest in order to be cleared to re-enter into society. But think about this. The legal prescription, while this was the legal prescription for someone uh, to, be, to, to be healed and reenter society, they never went to the priest until the healing had actually already happened. What Jesus was doing was asking these 10 men to take a step of faith and to go to the priest to be cleared before they were even healed. Can you imagine the thoughts that would run through their mind? Can you imagine the insecurity that they would feel in that moment? Is this for real? Like what happens if we're on our way and we run into somebody and they see us and they see us coming towards the town? I mean, they're going to they're gonna yell at us. They're going to tell us to, to get and to go. Will somebody bring harm to us because they think that we're coming and we're going to infect them? Will what Jesus just said, will we actually be healed as we go and we're on the way? You literally can think about all the things that they must have thought, but the passage tells us that they take that step of faith and they begin to go. And it says in Luke 17, verses 14 through 16, that as they went, 
they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. This is such an interesting thing. As they go, they can literally look at their hands and look at their body, and they're beginning to see it change. They can tell that they are being healed, excited, no doubt, to run to the priest, but the passage says, one of them decides to turn back. Letter D, as they were healed, only one man returned. And Luke pauses to make a very important statement, and he was a Samaritan. What was it about this man out of the 10 people that he would be the only one to return and to give thanks? What would elicit such an overwhelming response of gratitude where the others did not? It says that when he went, that he went and he fell down at Jesus' feet and praised God with a loud voice, giving everything he could to express his thanks and to express his gratitude to Jesus and to God. He didn't just feel grateful. He demonstrated it. He expressed it with everything that he was. Why? What could have been different? And I believe this is where Luke pens these five words that we have in English, only four in the Greek that he was a Samaritan. You see, the implication from this passage in Jesus' response is that among the 10 men, nine of them were likely Jews, and this one man was a Samaritan. But what made this man's response so amazing was that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Samaritans were considered apostates and were loathed by all Jews. They were Samaritans because they were those, if you think all the way back in the Old Testament when Assyria came in and took over Israel and dragged people off into exile, the Samaritans were those who stayed in the land but then ended up intermarrying with those from Assyria who had stayed. And as well, it was also those who intermarried in Assyria and also came back. And then they began to change some of their uh, ways of worshiping. They would not worship in Jerusalem but had their own spot. And they began to think and believe different things. And so Jews hated Samaritans. They hated one another. In normal circumstances, they would have had absolutely nothing to do with each other. And this man had experienced alienation and discrimination on multiple levels, not just because of his condition of leprosy, but because of who he was as a person. And this man was not confused about how undeserving he was. But it was this humility of seeing who he was, but also who Jesus was. And the incredible undeserved gift that he was being given that created his response of extreme gratitude. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, but also we see this in other places in Scripture when he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There was a humility of placing others as more important, of seeing himself for who he was, this humility that created in him the ability to have this expression of gratitude. You see, one of the greatest roadblocks to our expressing of gratitude is feeling a sense of entitlement that often results in taking people for granted. We live in a culture today that teaches this, that preaches it, and that models it at every turn. It's no wonder that it seeps into our relationships with each other, but even more into our relationships with God. 
But the comparison continues. Because in Luke 17, verses 17 through 18, after he falls down and worships, it tells us that Jesus answered and said to him, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What's interesting, letter E, is that Jesus' statement highlights a prevailing attitude among the Jews during his earthly ministry, is that they believed that they were entitled to blessing from God. They were his chosen people. They were the ones that he had taken out of Egypt, that he had provided for them to come all the way to the promised land, that he told them that even after uh, Israel and Judah were overthrown by other countries, that one day he would return them to the land and that he would send a Messiah to them that would come and overthrow their enemies and set up a time and a reign of everlasting peace Like they believed in all of their heart that this was theirs. It was, but they looked at the gift they were giving, they were given, and they idolized and valued that more than anything else. They believed that they were entitled to this blessing that was from God. And I hope that you see this observation this morning. A heart of thankfulness is never developed when I love the gift more than the giver. This was Israel's constant problem throughout their entire history. They loved the gifts from God, but oftentimes they, times they loved the gift far more than the one who gave it to them. You see, ingratitude occurs when I place higher value on things that I want or even receive than I do on the people who are the conduits of those things. I think of a story that was in the news recently of a famous uh, comedian who had a uh, nightly talk show who was at a restaurant out in New York, and uh, apparently he was going through the night. It was a pretty busy night, and his server had come out and was serving them, and apparently one of the food items came, and it wasn't the exact way that they wanted, and so the whole news story blew up of how he was a jerk to this individual, was yelling at them. Uh, Even though it was a busy night, it was a a small mistake, and as he's doing that, even as we hear stories like that, we think to ourselves, who would do that kind of thing? Like, how could you not just show thankfulness and gratitude for the person that is working for you? Like, it just seems blown out of proportion. Why and how could someone do that? But the truth is, if we really take a close look, the answer to that question is all of us. All of us would do that. Think about it. Have you ever been given a gift and it wasn't exactly what you wanted? And so your response was one of ingratitude, maybe complaining or even making a statement that it wasn't quite what you expected. You value the gift over the giver. I remember when the first Christmas with Rochelle and her grandmother gave me a gift and I was so excited to be getting gifts from her family. I hadn't gotten gifts from like other people before like that. And so I got this gift and I opened it up and it was a shabby chic keychain holder. And I looked at this thing. Do you guys know what that is? It's like a ornate piece of wood painted white. That's how I would describe it with a little bit of hooks screwed into it. And she gave this to me. And I remember looking at it going like, huh, that's interesting. Apparently she was thinking of a gift for Rochelle, (laughs) right? And in my heart, I was valuing the gift more than the giver. Think about the way that we do this on a daily basis for things that people do for us, daily, even routine tasks the person that makes coffee at work, the person who delivers our mail or serves us at a restaurant, 
a spouse who keeps the house tidy, a friend who is always there for us through thick and thin, parents who adjust their schedule. So often we take them for granted, valuing what they do for us over who they are as a person. And we do this as well in our own relationship with God. Think about it. All of the answers to prayer, his daily presence with us, his strength to get through the hard seasons of life, his daily provision, the many blessings that he gives us in our lives that we don't deserve, greatest of which is our salvation. And it is so easy for us to willingly accept those things and to value the gift more than we value the giver, which creates ingratitude. It says that while the nine others ran off with their gift, excited to reunite with their families, unlike those nine men, the Samaritan, letter F, in humility, his humility allowed him to clearly see that the real gift wasn't his healing, but it was Jesus. We see this so clearly in Jesus' final statement to the Samaritan. In Luke chapter 17, verse 19, it says, he said to him, rise and go your way for your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. What I want you to catch is that Jesus wasn't only speaking about the healing, physical healing that he had just done in this man's life of taking away his leprosy. You see, what's missed in the English language is that Jesus doesn't use the same Greek words when it says made you well that are used throughout the passage. He doesn't use the word that was used for healed. He doesn't use the word that is used for cleansed. Rather, he uses the Greek word that throughout the entire scriptures, the word sozo is a word that denotes salvation, that he has been saved. How incredible it is when you think about the Samaritan's response. In the gift that he was given of this physical healing, I want you to pause and think about all of the things that he stood to gain in that moment. He got his life back. He didn't have to fear dying because of this horrible disease. I believe that it was a complete healing and if there was disfigurement that it probably went back to normal as well. Not only did he gain that back, but he was about to gain back his family. He was about to gain back his friends. He was about to gain back his entire religious community. He was about to gain back life going back to normal. The one thing that I'm sure he longed for the most. And what does he do? He doesn't run to all that he just gained. He leaves it behind and he runs back to Jesus. And he falls at his feet and he worships him because the greatest gift that he had received was not the healing, it was Jesus. What a beautiful picture when we think about the fact that not long after this encounter, Jesus himself would go to the cross to give you and I the greatest gift that we could ever receive, that he would pay the ultimate price for our sin, not something he did wrong, something that we did wrong, 
so that we wouldn't have to face eternal separation from God, but so that we could be restored in a right relationship with him if we would simply put our faith and our trust in him. What an incredible gift. But is our response to that gift one of saying, it's not just the salvation I get so I can go live my life the way I want to. But the greatest gift was the giver. It's Jesus. And I can't help but fall down on my knees and worship him every single day of my life because he's given me my life back. Do we worship God in that same way that we're willing to leave everything else aside because of the value that we have in the one who has given this incredible gift? The observation is so clear. A heart of thankfulness is cultivated by humility that enables me to see that the true gift is the giver. The giver. The people in your life that love you. The people in your life that care for you deeply. Those that provide for your needs those that serve you, but most importantly, the God who has saved you. Who are the people in your life today that have given you incredible gifts, but where you have valued the gift over the giver? Is there a shift that you need to ask God to do in your own heart to create a humility that would allow you to see the gift he has given you and other people? Maybe your eyes have been opened this morning to the ways in which you've taken God for granted. As you look over this past year and the number of ways that he has been involved in your life on a daily basis and you think, there's so many ways in which I have shown ingratitude by my lack of loving him well, of worshiping with all that I am. Maybe there's a moment to pause even this morning and remember the incredible gifts that he's given, but to remember that they are just a reflection of the greatest gift that he's given all of himself to you maybe our expression of gratitude today is to return to that pure wholehearted worship of him and lastly maybe today your eyes have been opened for the first time that maybe today you recognize that God has given you the most incredible gift of his son that you don't have to live eternity separated from him but by receiving him in faith can receive salvation and that response today to receive that gift is a response to receive the giver would you choose to follow him and commit your life to today to him let's pray together lord you're a good god you have blessed us far beyond anything we could ever think or imagine we have so much lord to be thankful for ways in which you have walked with us every single day of this life, the ways in which you provide us with strength, the ways in which you provide us with comfort, the ways in which you bring healing, the way in which you pour out your blessing, the way in which you so tenderly walk with us through the most difficult moments of life, the way that you provide. 
in the way that you have loved us and will always love us. The way in which you have provided us with salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so undeserving of all that you have done for us. Would you help us, Lord, to be like the Samaritan who in humility recognized his own station, but that the true gift that he had been given was you. And Father, may you use that to transform the way that we worship you on a daily basis, but even more, would you use it to transform the way that we live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving towards others so that when they see us, they really are seeing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cause you've got a lion inside of the 